we're beginning a, a new sermon series called Road Trip, and it's trying to answer some important questions for us. It's answering the question of what are the most important things in life to pack on our journey? What are the most important things for you to pack? Some of you have taken vacations, right, or trips, and you've thought, oh, I should have brought my toothbrush, or you've forgotten something. And in our series, we want to help you key in on those most important things to be carrying around with you. Or put another way, how does a disciple follow Jesus and help others do the same? We're answering the question by taking a closer look at the key things that Jesus did to invest in his disciples so that we might know that. What does he want to pour into our lives? And what, as disciple makers, should we be pouring into the lives of other people? What key items did Jesus want his disciples to take on their life's journey following him? So I hope you brought your suitcase. I happen to bring mine. It's a little dated, as you can see. Some of you have had um, suitcases. You know, like it doesn't have, this one doesn't have wheels on it. Isn't that a good invention? But uh, this is an old suitcase, and I've got some stuff, and each week we're going to unpack it a little bit. And there are key things that I always take along in my trip, and these are one of the things that I want you to think about for this morning. These, these are my most comfortable shoes. Now, I wouldn't wear them like to a formal banquet, but these are, these are the shoes that are kind of my go anywhere, do anything with my adventure shoes. I've worn them on impact days. We've got one coming up to serve because I don't mind getting paint on them. In fact, they have paint on them from impact days. And um, the other day I, I thought, well, I'm not going to wear my nice running shoes. I'm going to wear these shoes to go running in the mud up on Pleasanton Ridge. It was fantastic. And they sunk in the mud. I didn't care because they're my do-anything shoes in. And just yesterday I was wearing these shoes as I went out of the backyard and cleaned up after my dog. And I don't think I got anything left on there. <laughs> but they're my, they're my shoes where I would, I would do anything in them. I would go anywhere in them you know, within reason. And they're my shoes that I, I think of as my sacrifice shoes. I'll take any adventure and do stuff in these shoes. And I want to make sure when I go on trips, I, I pack them along with me. I found that it's easy to kind of fly through the pages of the Gospels, the stories that recount the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus and as I do, to fly through those pages to actually discover new things still at this age, my old age, and to, um, to love Jesus in a stronger, more powerful way. And so when I read through the stories, they're familiar and they're encouraging to me, but I don't always look at the stories with a new perspective. And part of this series, part of our agenda in this series is that we would help you look at the life of Jesus and what he was doing in a new, hopefully fresh way, and to grow in Christ because of it. To help you see that when Jesus did the things that he did, he did them very purposefully to pour into the life of his disciples and to multiply healthy disciples that would infect and impact the entire world. And these are the, things, the same things that he wants to pour into us. So what was Jesus doing in the life of his followers? That question, I think, 
is so pivotal to us because your mission, if you are a follower of Jesus, is to make disciples. Your mission, just like the mission of Bridges as church, is to make healthy, multiplying disciples. That's why my friend Martha spends time with kids. She could do all kinds of other things in her life, right? But she's committed to make disciples. Healthy, multiplying disciples. That's what each of us are about if we're followers of Jesus and imitating him. And not just any old disciples, but disciples that he's called us to. Disciples of every ethnos, every people group. And surprisingly enough, because of the plan, the great plan of God, he's brought all these people right into your neighborhood and into your schools and your places of work because he wants you to make disciples of every ethnos. The plan of God unfolding right in front of us through demographics, through people movements, through what's happening in your own very life. And he wants you to be pouring out these specific things into the life of people around you. Now, many of you know that Jesus was a master of show and tell. That is, in his ministry, he would do things, he would act things out, he would perform certain tasks and actions, and then he would teach about it. Then he would explain. Many of you have done the show and tell thing before. Now it's done on Facebook and Snapchat. But show and tell actually has power because the show part gets people wondering, right? It draws you in. Wow, what is that? I want to know about that. And then the tell part that Jesus was a master at, right? He got them thinking, processing through. So when people came and they came thirsty or hungry, Jesus would help people understand that they could depend on him. And he would help them through very easy demonstrations. His very first miracle in Canaan, he was at a wedding, right? And he makes water into wine. He helped them understand that he could provide even the pleasures and joy in life. And then, remember that large crowd gathered when there's over 5,000 people and he feeds them. Why do you do that? He did did that in order not just to help them depend on him, but to help them to see that he was the very bread of life. And so he taught about that afterwards. He's a master at show and tell. And in Jesus' ministry, there's this pattern that keeps repeating itself. This morning, I'd like us to look at one of those things from the Gospels that Jesus does. Kind of a show and tell thing. And he does it actually multiple times throughout the Gospels. Now, here's one challenge I want to give to you as we just begin this series, and it's this. I want you to take one of the Gospels in the next couple weeks and read through the entire Gospel. So, if it's the longest one, if let's say it's Matthew, you can read 28 chapters. It's not going to take you that long. And as you go through it, I want you to be asking the question, what is it that Jesus was pouring into the life of his disciples? And how can I do the same? How can I make disciples of other people and pour in these same qualities into the life of others? How can he do that through my life? This morning, we're going to focus on one of the essential items that Jesus showed his disciples. And it really actually lies at the very heart of discipleship. It's so fundamental that Jesus kept repeating the lesson in various forms throughout his entire life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And it's the lesson of sacrifice. 
Now, we make sacrifices all the time in life. You made sacrifices this week. You sacrifice time and energy in order to get your schoolwork done or in order to get your work work done if you're in the profession somewhere. You, you made commitments not to buy a new car or a new house because you wanted to eat next week. Right? You didn't get overextended, hopefully. You made sacrifices, financial sacrifices, many of you, so this church could thrive. Or you invested time and energy into serving in some way so that other people would understand and know Christ. We cherish as a church and we honor those sacrifices. That's why we're doing what we're doing. We're honoring volunteers. We're actually raising up the value here and and telling you this is really a huge value for us to step into this, for us to make sacrifices so that others could understand how to know and love Jesus and experience firsthand his love for us. And when you consider the life of Jesus, you'll see it throughout the course of his birth, actually, life and ministry and his death. First, in his birth, think about the accounts of Jesus' birth that reveal how gigantic it was that the God of all creation would step into a womb and then a very humble birth. He would make all of these sacrifices so that we might know him. God taking on human form. Paul masterfully describes the sacrifice in Philippians, a passage known to many of you that are followers of Jesus and have been for a while. Let me just read it again to you to refresh the sacrifice in your minds. Philippians 2, 4 through 8. Philippians 2, 4 through 8, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's a call to sacrifice, and it's an explanation why. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And certainly we know that the crowning moment of his sacrifice was the sacrifice on the cross where Jesus demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took on this sacrifice through his death and in communion we celebrate what? A sacrifice. The depths of what Jesus did, it helps, it helps us step back and reflect again about what he did for us. But he wasn't just doing it for us. It was to help us understand a pattern of life. How f- for us, we are called to sacrifice. Now, in the middle of those bookends, that, the bookend of the first of his birth and his sacrifice there and his death and his sacrifice and his death are all kinds of stories of sacrifice in the Gospels, where Jesus raises the essentialness of this value and behavior. And when you take a close look at Jesus' life, I think you're going to continue to see it. So here's one story of that. It's the calling of the first disciples. So in your Bible, Matthew chapter 4, 
And we'll just look at a couple verses, 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Scripture says, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers. Simon, who was called Peter, wasn't called Peter yet, Jesus would change his name later on, and Andrew, his brother, and casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Well, you would like a little bit more detail about it, wouldn't, that? <clears throat> wouldn't you, in the story? Because if you'd listen, if we had time for everyone to tell their story about the, how they began following Jesus, you would hear a whole group of different stories here. And some people who are here have yet to take that step. They're still trying to figure out, how do I leave behind all the stuff like these guys left and actually take that step? But if you listen to the people who have taken that step, there would be some familiar themes, even though their stories are vastly different. So, what was happening with these guys that would help them take this life-altering leap? How well did they know Jesus before this moment? We're not sure. What restlessness had been stirring in them? We know just a fragment of their motivation. The living God was right there, present with them, calling them out to the highest vocation imaginable. Ever wonder what Simon and Andrew's greatest aspirations were before this moment? Drew, let's get a bigger boat. No, wait. Let's get a fleet of fishing vessels with our name emblazoned on the side for all of Galilee to see. That's a man-sized dream. Those aspirations, they might have brought a bigger haul of the fish that were in the Sea of Galilee, but you can only show off so many of those fish pictures. Jim, you know what I'm telling you about right there? Instead, while Peter and Andrew chased their aspirations in the Galilean countryside, Jesus invited them to chase a greater dream, a greater aspiration of landing the souls of men and women created in the image of God. And Simon and Andrew answered the challenge, this personal invitation to sacrifice their dreams and aspirations for greater ones. God in the flesh was asking two new things of them. To follow, which they had to learn a lot of lessons about, and to fish for men. And Jesus, the living God, was speaking irresistibly to their souls, challenging them to learn Christ-like sacrifice. And they took the first step. Now, at that point, it was only a first step. And that's the wonder, the beauty of our spiritual journey. God asks us to take the next step. Some of you are great planners. You're organized. Everything in your life is planned out. And it's awfully scary when Jesus says, take this next step, and I'm not telling you the entire journey. This is about your faith, about you depending on me. Some of us, when we think about this church, when we think about what the next steps are, we have these aspirations. And God says, I'd like you to take this step. And you don't know all the next things. That's hard, isn't it? But it is about faith, and it is fundamentally about sacrifice giving up the things 
that were once important to me. They were priorities to me, and they're priorities to people in my neighborhood, people at my work. But they're not important, actually, to God. There are greater things to be following, more significant things to be doing. What led these guys from that moment of walking away from their nets and fishing careers to ultimately sacrificing their very lives? If you know the story of Andrew and Peter and what happened to them, it's remarkable. They didn't ultimately become martyrs in a violent cause. They became martyrs because of their love, because God had changed them and asked them to keep taking steps of sacrifice in their life. Peter and Andrew were both eventually beaten and crucified for their faith. That's likely not your story. But he will call you and ask you to do great sacrifice. Why were they willing to give their lives It was so that other people might understand the beauty of the love of God and experience his love firsthand. And they lived out the teachings of Jesus found in John 13, 15. I have given you an example, Jesus said. I've given you all these examples of sacrifice that you should do just as I have done to you. Do you listen to the power of that? I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. That you should follow in the very same steps of sacrifice. That's intimidating, isn't it? Am I the only one that's intimidated by this in my life? It's challenging to us. He keeps provoking us toward growth and toward greater faith and toward sacrifice. So that people would understand The love of God. Not for some random reason, but so that people would understand. See, the distinguishing factor about Christ-like sacrifice is that it has as its goal people experiencing the love of God. That's the goal. Not to conquer the world militarily or to make other people believe the set of doctrines that I believe. It's so that people would understand and experience and step into the love of God. And become disciples. Healthy, multiplying disciples. Paul teaches out in 1 Corinthians 13 that all the sacrifice in the world is meaningless without without love. Right? Without love. Jesus puts it this way in John 13.35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you go to church. No, but that's important for your spiritual growth and health and the growth and health of others. But if you have love for one another, and this kind of love that he's talking about, it always comes with a cost. It always requires sacrifice. That's why people walk away from it. That's why Judas walked away. He wasn't willing to sacrifice anymore in his life. Other things became more important to him. Christ-like sacrifice gives up so that someone else may receive the love of God. When some of you became parents, you began making a discovery. Wow, my parents gave up more than I expected, more than I thought about, right? You'd walked in this um, great stage of life and received all this stuff from them, and then all of a sudden you started discovering that, you know, changing diapers all the time, that's not as glorious and glamorous as you, know, you might expect. 
and your, your kids still keep asking things of you. It's last week, my, my son and asked, Dad, can I borrow the car? I'm like, well, you've got this other car. Yeah, I know, Dad, but it doesn't play like the same music, you know, and I really want to drive your newer car. I'm like, really? Come on. Love requires greater sacrifice. It keeps requiring greater sacrifice of us. And following Jesus, doing exactly as he has done, requires sacrifice. Sacrificial love of a healthy parent is close to the kind of sacrifice the Lord requires of us. But it's not fully that, is it? I was surprised this week, actually. Um, my wife and I were um, at a conference the first part of the week. And we were staying near Legoland. Do you know where that is? It's you know, near Carlsbad. And uh, I was having a great sharpening time with a lot of brothers who were just pouring in my life, which I really appreciated. And um, we got up early one morning. I went running, and I was doing stuff. And then we went out to breakfast at Starbucks. And um, walk in, and all of a sudden, someone calls out to me, Ron King! <laughs> like, now, my, my kids always give me a hard time because I step into places, and this happens with some regularity. But all of a sudden, I turn and look at this guy, and I haven't seen this kid for 30 years. He's not a kid anymore, actually. But he was my youth group 30 years ago, right? And um, I start this conversation with this kid who I hadn't seen for all these years. And he's walking with Jesus. He's got his family there. He's got kids, you know, and he's been married for quite a few years. And, I, and he starts recounting his spiritual journey to me. And um, what had happened, and he starts telling his wife about all these things that we had done, you know, and, um, and the time would be spent, and what the meaning of that was to a kid, to a young kid, a junior higher, when I first, first knew Ron. His name is Ron. And I thought, what a joy. The sacrifice that I made all those years ago to pour into this kid's life is when you see the fruit all those years later. That's really what I'm talking about. Some of you volunteer right now in the nursery or out in the parking lot or um, across the way in the cafe. And you do that because you want to pour into people's lives. You make sacrifice of time and energy. You could do other things. But you're volunteering here. You're pouring into the life of kids in the children's ministry or the student ministry or you're leading a life group. And you're doing that with the hope that one day there'll be spiritual fruit but you don't really see it sometimes in the thick of the weeds, right? You're just making sacrifices. I'm here to tell you that every sacrifice you make so that people would come to know and love Jesus is worth it. A lot of the sacrifices you'll never know whether it actually came to fruition. You have to trust Jesus with that. But there are going to be some Starbucks moments for you. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years later people come back and say, you know what? You made this huge impact on me. You made an impression on me. And you're thinking, no, I, actually it was God and his grace working through me because I was such a knucklehead at that time. But God still used that event. It's why we call people to serve here, to sacrifice here, because we're convinced that God uses our sacrifice, every one of our sacrifices for his glory if it's done in his name. With these things in mind, I want you to examine something that happened closer to the end of Jesus' life. It's a familiar story to many of you. I just want to read it, and I want you to think 
about it in a fresh way, through the lens of sacrifice. What's Jesus communicating in this event through sacrifice? It's found in John chapter 13. So turn your Bible to John chapter 13. If many of you have a phone, you want to turn that. It's really easy on your phone, isn't it? Or your other electronic device. And if you're old school, you can, you can be just like Ted Saito and flip in his Bible right here. So it's John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that a fantastic phrase? I love that phrase. He sacrificed all of it, is what it's saying. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing to you, um, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. You'll understand, Peter the force of service and sacrifice. You'll understand after my death, and once I have reaffirmed you into ministry, you'll understand later on in your life after you've done ministry for a lot of years how significant sacrifice is and laying down your own preferences and desires and humbling yourself in front of other people. You'll understand that. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, including Judas's, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And then later on, skip a little bit, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, sacrificially, not just casually, but to the end. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have agape or love for one another. Wow. See, our sacrifice is response to his love. That's, that's why those who follow Jesus love others. It's a, it's a love response to what God has done for us. It's not 
guilt or shame-based. I come out of the store, and I see those little girls with the Girl Scout cookies. Oh, man. And I feel the pressure to buy more cookies. I don't need more cookies. I'm trying to lose weight for crying out loud. But it's, they've got the whole marketing thing. It's guilt and shame-based, right? How can you let a poor little Girl Scout who really just wants you to buy a little Girl Scout cookie box, you know? And you resist that. Hopefully, sometimes, and sometimes you give in. But sacrifice that we make toward the Lord is not like that. It's a love response to him. It's not giving to get something in return. Christ-like sacrifice is right, and it's a healthy response to his love. So those who give up your time to come here on Thursday nights to help kids know God's word through Awana, And those of you who are taking kids out after ministry events to spend time with them in youth ministry and children's ministry, those people who are out dodging cars who are trying to race into the parking lot and holding up a sign that says slow and hoping people don't hit them, all those people, all of you who are serving in so many different wonderful ways, all together we're doing that as a love response to our Lord. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Our sacrifice is a response to his love, isn't it? And when it's not, things get messed up. I start feeling resentful that I have to do this one more time. I have to be in white cross and sew again with grace, right? But instead, it's this love response, right? So the women do that, they make these blankets in response to the love of God. And our sacrifice discriminates based on need, not people. Our sacrifice discriminates based on need, not people. Examine the sacrifices of Jesus. They always had great purpose. And he never sacrificed randomly or thoughtlessly. He was not, when he laid down his life on the cross, doing that because Pilate was in charge. He was in charge. He was setting the agenda. His sacrifice served people at their point of greatest need and led people to discover the love of God. And that's a great measurement tool for our sacrifices. Are we meeting the real need of people? Will my act of sacrifice lead someone to discover the love of God? Why am I serving another drink in the cafe? I'm doing it because I have in mind I'm going to meet this person's present need and I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus to give them like another cup of cold water or a nice mocha. And I'm going to help them have conversation and experience this place where they can experience the love of God. I'm going to think about my simple acts of service and I'm going to meet people's needs. And I'm not going to discriminate. Judas Iscariot was there in the crowd. And Jesus still stripped down and washed his feet. He didn't discriminate. And while it's true that I can't always know the answer to people's greatest need at the time, I can be thoughtful and purposeful in what I give my time and resources and energy toward. You noticed that Judas was in the crowd, didn't you? That Jesus served him. That he sacrificed for his betrayer. 
It's one thing, of course, to sacrifice for those we love. I do that sometimes. <laughs> I try to do it more often. But it's far more difficult to sacrifice for the person you don't really care for or who has hurt you or betrayed you or wounded you. But Jesus didn't just love his friends. He loved those who were unlovely and unloving. And that's our call. That's what we were made to do, to sacrifice distinctively like that. Because our sacrifice discriminates based on need on a people. And here's the ultimate indicator if we're getting our sacrifice right. Our sacrifice reveals God's love by loving people, loving others. I love that Jesus makes it simple for simple people. It's not really about us. It's always other-centered. We sacrifice as an act of worship, an act of love toward others. And it is the strongest sign that we have that we're actually becoming disciples. And we're passing it on like we should be. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And when you think deeply about this, something astonishing is going on. Jesus didn't say, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love me or worship me or obey me. All those things are critical. All those things are essential. But he said that other people would be loved if you're loving other people because even Jesus' sacrifice and his love was other-centered. And that's the model we're following. That's the litmus test. If we're loving other people well, if we're giving to them first, it's at the heart of disciple-making. So this morning, I want personally to applaud you for your service and your sacrifice this past year. It's a true mark that God's doing something, that you're taking the right next step. And we're calling you actually to greater sacrifice. Rightly so, so that you might be a greater, more effective disciple maker. We're calling people to respond to the love of God, the sacrifice that meets real needs, and does that so the people would know, so the unlovely and the unloving would know and experience the love of God and become disciples themselves. Put that in your suitcase. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the good word, for the good model of sacrifice for us. That help us to think well about what you were passing on and what we're called to pass on to those people in our lives. This kind of model of laying our down our lives and loving people effectively. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to bring new disciples into our midst. That we might raise them up so that they might follow you with whole hearts. God, I just rejoice too. And these brand new disciples from last week we saw, what a joy. Eight new into your kingdom. And we just pray for more. We long for that. We pray these things in Christ's name and to honor him. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. 
Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.